Today, we're continuing on in the book of Galatians. Galatians is a unique book. It's most likely Paul's first letter that he wrote after he returned from his first missionary journey where he planted a group of churches in a region of Galatia. And this group of churches, Galatia, these people were known for being fighters. They were often hired as mercenaries by the Roman government. So it's a unique group of people. But after Paul plants his church, somebody follows Paul. So Paul, he's going and he's writing to the churches in Galatia about this issue that they have uh, preaching a different gospel. And today, today's a passage I don't think any pastor would just choose to preach the passage we're looking at today. It's a passage that is meant and makes us feel uncomfortable because it's a passage that deals with conflict. I venture to say most of us don't like conflict. Just this week alone, it was a unique week. I saw a couple of conflicts. I was dropping my wife off at the grocery and then I was driving to park but I couldn't get down the street because a crowd had gathered and in the middle of the circle were two men, one of them holding a tire iron and they weren't happy with one another and people were trying to break up this conflict. The next day, I was walking with a couple of friends and again, I see two more men holding rocks and they're throwing those rocks at one another conflict. Conflict draws a crowd, but no one wants to be engaged in conflict. We don't like conflict. And today's conflict is shocking because today's conflict is between the two key figures of the New Testament. Outside of Jesus Christ, Peter and Paul are the most prominent figures in the New Testament. And today we see a conflict between these two men. So we've only got four verses today. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. So let's stand together. We'll read our passage. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me. Hear the word of our Lord. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James he was eating with the Gentiles but when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, Praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word does declare 
All men are like grass, and all our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, O Lord, stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today. We recognize that unless you speak, nothing of eternal significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our passage starts off with a man named Cephas. But when Cephas came to Antioch. Now that word, that name Cephas, it's the Aramaic word for rock. The Aramaic word for Peter. So this is the disciple Peter. The, the, the leader of the disciples who Paul is addressing. And Peter comes from Jerusalem up to Antioch. Last week in our passage, we saw the opposite. Paul said this in our passage last week, that he went to Jerusalem and Peter and James and John extended to him the right hand of fellowship. Paul actually refers to Peter and James and John as pillars of the church. So Paul has a great deal of respect and love and admiration for Peter. Now the church here, the Galatian churches are attacking Paul. They're saying, Paul, your message is wrong. Christ isn't enough. You've got to keep a Jewish identity. And if you don't have a Jewish identity, you need to assume one in order to be right before God. And Paul's saying, Christ alone. Christ is enough. And these people are attacking both Paul the messenger, and the message of Paul. So Paul here is dealing with an issue, and Peter, he comes up from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now these are the two big churches in the New Testament, Jerusalem. It's a church made up almost entirely of Jewish people who've placed their faith in Christ. The church in Antioch, it's made up predominantly of Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, that's just a word that means anyone who is not from a Jewish background. So, one church predominantly Jewish Christians, another church predominantly Gentile Christians, and Peter and Paul are going back and forth between the two of them. And Peter, when he went to Antioch, he would eat with anyone. But when these Jewish background believers show up, he does something different. Now, Paul and Peter, as I mentioned, they're the two key figures of the New Testament outside of Jesus Christ. They're both. They point over and over again to salvation in Christ, to the sufficiency of Christ. And they have similarities, but they also have great differences. Peter, he was a rugged, tough fisherman. Peter, at some point, as he was a young man, some rabbi looked at him and said, Peter, you don't have what it takes to be a rabbi. You need to go work with your dad, Zebedee. And he became a fisherman. Paul, on the other hand, he was the rising superstar of Judaism. He was the one that all the rabbis said, Paul, you know more than anybody else. 
Paul, you've got it figured out. We want to train you. Paul was trained by the best, Gamaliel. Paul was the one that they turned to for approval at the stoning of Stephen. Yet these two men, when we look at the book of Acts, we see the first half, Peter's the predominant figure. Second half of Acts, it's Paul that's the predominant figure. These two men, God used them to be the primary two people that would launch the church of Jesus Christ. And they both would die in similar ways. They both would die in Rome at the hand of Emperor Nero for their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter, according to tradition, he's crucified upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. I'll be crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. So these two men have quite a bit in common, and it's meant to jar us when we see them not getting along. And it says here, I opposed him to his face. That's pretty bold. Now, Peter, here's what was going on. The Jewish people had strict dietary laws from the Old Testament, but they had added more and more and more rules. By the time we reach the New Testament, in addition to the 613 Old Testament laws, there are more than 10,000 additional laws. And Peter, people said, we don't want to fall into idolatry. The number one goal within Judaism was don't fall into idolatry. Because in the Old Testament, they fell into idolatry and they were carried into captivity and they said, we don't want that again. So they avoided idolatry at all costs. And they believed that eating and intermixing with the Gentiles would lead them to idolatry so they wouldn't do that. Peter, God spoke to him about this. Peter being the leader of the early church, God makes it clear. You can eat with the Gentiles. You can even eat the food that the Gentiles eat because it's not about that. When, when you read Paul's letters, when you read New Testament letters, it's always good to have Acts beside you because it'll show you what's going on. And if we go to Acts chapter 10, I'll have these verses on the screen. In Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9, halfway through the verse, it reads, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. He wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending and being let down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, many of you understand this. Three times, God's telling Peter, you can eat. You can eat. You can eat these things, Peter. Now, 
If you were to come to my house, I might offer you something to eat. Would you like something to eat? And you might say, no. I'll say, okay. I'll assume you don't want anything, right? Now, some of you are looking going, wait a minute. You just asked me if I wanted something to eat once. I need to come and say, hey, would you want something to eat? No, I don't want anything to eat. Oh, please, I'd love to give you something to eat. No, I don't want anything. And it's about that third time, right? That third time I say, hey, I, I would love for you to have something to eat that you go, oh, okay, I'll take something to eat, right? See, where, where I come from, we ask once. You want something to eat? No, okay, great. It would actually be rude of me to ask you again. I heard you the first time you said no. Or some of you are going, no, you got to keep asking. Ask me over again. In fact, some of you, if I showed up at your house, you wouldn't even ask if I wanted something to eat, would you? You'd just come bring food and go, here's food. And I go, all right. Now, in my culture, I'd be going, that seems rather rude. Don't you care if I'm hungry or not? You're just bringing it to me where you're going, hey, you know what? If you really wanted to give me your food, you wouldn't even ask. You'd just bring me your food and give it to you. Now, Peter, a lot of you get this. Peter, first time he hears, he goes, no, God, I can't eat that. I've never eaten anything common or unclean, God. Hey, you can eat this. I don't think so, God. Peter, you can eat this. God is making this abundantly clear to Peter. Eat these foods. And know this, it's not primarily about the food. What is eating about? Now, where I come from, it's about eating as fast as you can so you can get on to the next thing, okay? That's not what eating's about, is it? Communion, fellowship, togetherness. Let's slow down, let's be together, let's eat. We're at peace with one another. So tell my Western friends, can you see why this is a big deal? Peter's going, hey, if I eat those foods, those Gentile foods, I'll be saying I have peace with the Gentiles. And God's going, exactly. That's what I want you to do. I want you to eat with the Gentiles. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people miss this. Israel in the Old Testament was to be light to all the nations. But because of their fear of falling into idolatry, they didn't go to the nations. And they ended up falling into idolatry anyway. So this isn't about food. This is about people. It's about relationship. That's what he's emphasizing here. Now in verse uh, 17, still in Acts 10, the, the verses should be on the screen. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, he had a vision. And in this vision, some men come, a man named Cornelius, who is a Gentile, a Roman ruler, sends for Peter while he's having this vision. They actually show up and knock on the door and go, we're looking for Peter. Peter's like, I just had a vision to eat food with you and that you would come. 
So Peter goes with them. And down in verse 34, look at what it says. Chapter 10, verse 34 of Acts. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows, hear this, no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. Skipping down to verse 43, hear this. To him, this is Christ, to him is Christ. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You see, this is a gospel issue. God's saying, take the gospel to the Gentiles. I would never eat with the Gentile, God. Eat with the Gentiles. You can eat this food. Go and share the good news that you're saved. Everyone. The only way you're saved is through the name of Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. He's the hope for everyone. Notice again, it keeps emphasis, no partiality. All are equal at the cross. No preference. Doesn't matter nation. Everybody is equal here. Because what was going on in Galatians? Hey, sure, believe in Jesus, but our background's Jewish. You need to be circumcised if you really believe in Jesus. Hey, sure, sure, believe in Jesus, but you've got to Keep the customs, the dietary codes. Christ isn't enough to save you. You've got to have an ethnic, Jewish, cultural identity. And he's saying, no. It doesn't matter your nation. For us, it doesn't matter what nation we come from here. We come from a lot of different nations, a lot of cultures, a lot of backgrounds, a lot of generations. None of that matters when it comes to salvation. We're all saved. We all come in the same way. It's through Christ and Christ alone. And that's what uh, God is making clear here to Peter. Back in Galatians. Our first point. We have four. If you've got your bulletin, you can write them down if you like following. First point, simple. Disunity. That's what we see. Disunity. God wants his church unified. Enemy wants us disunified. And we see disunity based on Peter's actions. It says that Peter stood condemned. That means he's guilty. Now Paul loves Peter, respects Peter. We're going to see that he is opposing Peter's actions. This is not personal. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But one of the things that we see here... He opposes him to his face because this is a gospel issue of unity. Now, some people like conflict. If that's you, where, we come, where I come from, we say, God bless you. Most people don't like conflict. Most of us, even in our cultures, we avoid conflict. We don't want conflict. We, we don't like that. But Paul opposes Peter to his face. And here's the reason. This is a primary gospel issue. This isn't a secondary issue. It's important, church, that we know what will we divide over? What are the things that you would divide with another person over? Here's some primary issues. 
the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, salvation by faith alone, Christ's substitutionary atonement to save, the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Christ, Christ's death, burial, resurrection, the truth of God's word. Those are primary issues. Those are issues that we look and we go, hey, if you're holding to something different, you're not reading the same Bible. Now there's some secondary issues that are very important. I'm not saying they're not important, but they're issues that we look at each other and go, we don't need to divide. Maybe how much you view election and free will. How you understand church government, modes of baptism, gifts of the Spirit, the age of the earth, views on various views on divorce and, and remarriage, some of those views. Views on music, dancing, science. Some of these have various importance. But these are not issues that we look at one another and go, I will no longer fellowship. In fact, we often create disunity on secondary issues. We love to do that. Well, a Christian would never listen to that music. If you're a Christian, you can't listen to that. Therefore, I'm casting judgment on you for being less than who I am. No, if that person is saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we all enter the same way. Now, I know some of these topics are sensitive, but again, regardless of culture, regardless of background, we come under the authority of God's word. That's our unifying culture. And believe me, there are things that we divide over. We have to divide over. But often, there are things that the body of Christ divides over that are more matter of preference, more matter of style, more matter of pursuit of holiness. Okay? I want to be like Christ. Therefore, I'm going to not do this. And then we look at everybody else and go, look at them, they're doing it. We've just stepped in somewhere Scripture has not called us. So I'm not saying your preferences don't matter. But when we go around causing division because of those secondary preferences, those tertiary preferences going, hey, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go to that place. We forget. Jesus ate with prostitutes. He ate with tax collectors. He went into those places. And that made the religious leaders so uncomfortable. When someone else's religious practices start to make you this uncomfortable, there's a chance you may be more like those religious leaders looking at Jesus going, He's with a prostitute. He's eating with a prostitute. He's eating with a tax collector. No good Christian would do that. No man of God would do that. Now we need to know, church, there are things that we divide over. But I think the enemy loves to get us dividing over things. Now we should look and say, hey, I have my preference. 
I don't like to dance. I can't dance anyway. I don't have good rhythm. But if somebody else wants to, it doesn't bother me. Those are hard, some of our cultures. Hey, some we look and we go, hey, I don't want to be led to sin. Therefore, I won't do that. But we can't come place that on everybody else. And if this is making you uncomfortable, wrestle with the Word of God. I keep coming back to Scripture. That's where we come. And we've got a gospel issue that he's dealing with. So the first thing we see is disunity. And look at what it's caused by verse 12. We'll put that up here. Before certain men came from James, James is Jesus' brother. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And these men have come from the church in Jerusalem and they're saying, you can't eat with those people. Says he was, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when he came, he withdrew and separated. Why? What's the word it says there? Fearing the circumcision party. Every one of us here, and if you don't believe this, you're in denial probably about yourself. Okay? Because I know this is true of me. Every one of us struggles with fear of man issues. What will they think? What, what will they say? If I went there, if I gave approval to that in some way, what would they say? What would they think? And Peter, the rock, Peter, the leader of the disciples, Peter struggles with fear of man. So don't think you don't struggle with it. And the question is, do we fear man or do we fear God more? I don't want to be casting judgment on someone that according to Scripture, I have no business casting judgment upon. What we're dealing with here, why does he confront this? So here we've got disunity caused by fear. That's what's causing this disunity in the church. It's fear. Oftentimes our disunity in the body of Christ. Someone's afraid. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? And it leads to separation. In verse 13, says of the rest of the Jews, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So in Antioch, Peter's sitting with the Gentiles eating. Fellowship, we're right. You follow Christ, I follow Christ. He's enough. Let's eat bacon. We don't have bacon here. Sorry. It's one of the things I miss. So let's eat. We'll enjoy. And Peter moves tables. And then those from a Jewish background look and go, well, we better move tables too. And you've got separation in the church. Gentiles, Jews. And this has been the great debate. And Peter is acting hypocritically. What is a hypocrite? What's a hypocrite? Hypocrite says one thing, does another. So Peter, he's saying... We can eat whatever we want. We can have meals with anyone. 
That's how we get to share the gospel and extend grace. And we can have meals, Jews and Gentiles, and eat together. How's he acting? Notice this. Paul in no way is confronting Peter's theology or his belief. Peter has right theology. Peter has right belief. So can you have right belief and wrong actions? Yeah. Peter's belief is contrary to what the gospel says. His belief conflicts with the gospel. And that's what they're doing with. So we see here, disunity caused by fear leads to hypocrisy. And the church in Galatia and you and I, we're prone to drift to one of two things. We'll drift to legalism. Hey, nobody should do that. And we go around looking going, yeah, they say they're a Christian. But did you see what they did? Did you know that they went here? They say they're a Christian. We're judging everybody by things that we may say, hey, these help me live holy. So, hey, example could be, I don't want to look at anything inappropriate on the internet. So I'm not going to have my phone past a certain time of night with me. I don't want to be tempted. Oh, I saw that Christian over there. They had their phone at that time of night. They must be really, they, they, you know, that's an extra thing we're adding. We love to do that. No, I want to be Christ-like. So I'm going to fight for it. I want to be holy. I want to war for that. But I don't go judge everybody by those. I look and say, do you know Christ? He's enough. He's sufficient. So they are struggling with hypocrisy. And look how bad it is. Even Barnabas is led astray. And this is meant to make, this is like to bring a tear to your eye. Barney, not Barnabas. Everybody, Barnabas is the most loved guy in the New Testament. He was an encourager. He built people up. He sold his land, gave the money to the church. When everybody was afraid of Paul and goes, don't mess with Paul, he goes, no, Paul, you, this guy's different. He's converted. I'll bring him in. Even Barnabas is led astray by Peter's actions. Did Peter preach a word? No. Peter did not say, hey, we can't eat with the Gentiles. His actions were out of step with the gospel. Hear that. These are not actions that will lead people maybe to struggle with holiness or something like this. These are actions out of step with the truth of the gospel. That's important because what's the debate? Here's the issue. To be a Christian, You've got to be circumcised and be Jewish. And Peter has just looked at the Gentiles and said, I can't eat with y'all. Y'all are eating foods I don't eat. I'm going to keep Jewish regulation and go eat over here. And Paul's saying, Peter, your actions are preaching a different gospel. This isn't a secondary issue. This is a primary issue. This is a gospel issue that we're dealing with. This is important. So we all drift either toward legalism or hypocrisy. And that's what struggle is here. Verse 14. When I saw that their conduct was out of step with the truth of the gospel. This is the key. Their conduct is out of step with the gospel. That's your blank that you fill in. Their conduct is out of step with the gospel. It's not that they're just doing something that you go, hey, can Christians do that or not? Jesus went and ate with tax collectors. No, 
the actions are leading to a different understanding of the gospel. So these are critical things. They're deviating from the truth. We got a big issue here. So he confronts Peter before them all. Now, I don't think this is licensed for us to go publicly confront people all the time. But here's what's going on. Peter publicly allowed a gospel error to be seen. And everybody saw it. And Peter's got to correct that publicly. So when your sin preaches a false gospel, that's what Peter's sin was doing. It was preaching in action a false gospel. When your sin preaches a false gospel to others, that's got to go be corrected with those other people. And that's what Paul is doing. And he says, if you live like a... If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Again, none of us like conflict. But what is the one thing Paul conflicts on? Someone getting the gospel wrong. Oh, you read the book of Corinthians. First and second Corinthians. There's people getting drunk at communion. There's a man who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. And Paul is kind to the church. He thanks God for them and he deals with those issues. But Paul gets angry when someone preaches something called the gospel that's not the gospel. There's only one gospel. Christ alone. Christ saves. At Jesus' crucifixion, his mother Mary was there. The disciple John was there. The centurion Roman leader was there. The executioner who nailed the stakes into Jesus' hands and feet was there. And this thief was there. Two thieves hanging on a cross beside Jesus. You see, at the cross of Jesus, we're all equal. Our nations, our cultural backgrounds, all policies, all those things, they're never going to be able to establish equality. Here's where our equality is. You and I are sinners. We're all sinners. We're all equal. We all stand condemned. And we're all equal. We only have one hope. We only have one hope, and that's Jesus. There's an um, evangelism question that if, if uh, you've ever studied evangelism, this is one of the questions that a lot of evangelism um, tactics will use and to encourage conversation. And here's the question. If you died today and you stood before God in heaven, why should he let you in? What would you say? And if that answer starts with this, I, it's probably not going to be the right answer. The answer's got to start in the third person. He. Jesus lived a sinless life. I didn't. Jesus died the death I deserved. Jesus took my sins upon the cross. He did it. I'm here because of him, not because of me.
I have no merit getting in here. It's all based on him. I love an example Alistair Begg gives. He says, the thief on the cross, this guy had never been to a Bible study. Thief on the cross, he'd never been baptized. He didn't know anything about church or church membership. And can you imagine him showing up in heaven and the angels being like, why are you here? Uh, I don't know why I'm here. What, what do you mean you don't know? How did you get in here? I'm not, I'm not sure. The angel probably had to run, get his supervisor and go, come meet this guy. Well, I don't know what to do with him. Supervisor like, why are you here? I don't know. Do you understand justification by faith in Christ alone? Do you understand these things? I've never heard of them. Why are you here? Well, the man on the middle cross, he told me I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could be here. And that's all any of us have. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equal when we stand before God. And our only hope is that man on the middle cross. He said I could be here. That man on the middle cross, I place my hope and trust in him and what he said. He's the only hope I've got. Church, we preach the gospel week after week. We know the gospel has the power to save. It saves the most wretched, worst sinner you can think of. The gospel can save them because Jesus' death on the cross is all sufficient for all sin. But I want you to know, we preach the gospel here weekly because the church, Christians, we're prone to wonder from the gospel. We're prone to forget the gospel. We're prone to begin to trust in ourselves. I can do this. I can live this Christian life. I can make it. It's up to me. I'm good enough. And that either leads to arrogance or disbelief. You and I daily need to come to the foot of the cross and say, I have no hope but Jesus. And today, I'm going to encounter some people who may not be nice to me. Today, I'm going to encounter some situations that are going to be hard. Today, I'm going to, I may suffer. It may be difficult. But my hope is in Jesus. He's sufficient. He's enough. We preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again, or we're prone to wonder. Peter, the leader of the disciples, he had actions out of step with the gospel. We all, when we pause to be honest with ourselves, we all have actions in our life, things in our life, thoughts in our head that are out of step with the gospel. The sweet, glorious good news of Christ is enough. Church, I pray that we live in that. I pray we find joy and hope and freedom and great grace in that.
that it's all about Christ. He's sufficient. He's enough. Let's pray. God, your word is good. Your word is good. You've chosen to speak to us through your word. This is what you've left us with. You've said, here's how I speak. And God, you give us clarity. Salvation is found in no other name. It's found in no one else but Christ. And Lord, there may be some here today that they've been coming to church for a long time. But their faith is in their actions. It's in their works. It's in their identity. Not in Christ. May today be the day of salvation. And Lord, there's many of us here. And I say us because I include myself. Who when we don't have our hearts and minds set thoroughly on the sufficiency of Christ and the good news of his redeeming power upon the cross and resurrection from the dead, that we will walk in a way that is out of step with the gospel. Help us to extend great grace to one another and help us to find our great delight and joy in our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.